Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Institute for Policy Innovation podcast. We're coming to you today from the studios of Salem Media Group in Dallas, Texas. I'm Tom Giovanetti, the president of the Institute for Policy Innovation. Today's October 14th, 2022, and I'm joined today by IPI's resident scholar, Dr. Merrill Matthews. And Dr. Matthews, we are three and a half weeks out from this date of the 2022 midterm election. We're in the thick of it, mm-hmm. and we're at that point where polling results are starting to solidify and trends are starting to solidify, and it looks like progressive Democrat policies are backfiring on them precisely at this important moment of the midterm election. And in many cases, they can't seem to run away from some of those policies fast enough. Well, I think it's too late. <laughs> you know, I mean, we, in fact, some of the, some of the specific examples we're going to give, they have tried to run away from. Right. But the problem is once, you know, once something becomes solidified in the public's mind, it's very hard to sort of change their minds on that. Uh, so for the purpose of this podcast, we have come up with four areas where the policies that have been advocated over the last several years by the Democratic Party and by progressives within the Democratic Party are all coming back to haunt them now, and that the public has simply rejected, in some cases, Mm -hmm. these policies. And in other cases, uh, the Democrat policies have actually come up caused results that the Democrats promised us would not happen. So I looked at several polls today. I looked at Gallup and I looked at some other sort of regional polls. And when you ask voters what their biggest concerns are at the midterm election, there really are four areas that just keep coming up. You know, depending on the poll, they're in various order. Mm -hmm. Almost every poll, the biggest concern is inflation. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then in all the polls I looked at, you know, these four issues are all like within the top five or six. That would be inflation, crime, immigration, or the border, and then specifically energy, oil prices, gas prices. Right. And so these are the four areas we want to talk about today, starting with inflation. So to this morning, we got the last inflation number, the last CPI number that we're going to get before the next election. Mm-hmm. And it came in at 8.2%, right. which was slightly above projection, mm-hmm. which is bad. And it also is bad because it's not trending down. Right. And there has been a lot of expectation that inflation had peaked and it was going to sort of be rapidly trending down. And uh, the Democrats were crossing their fingers and crossing their toes and hoping that the number was going to show a downward trend. And in fact, it didn't. Now, the difference between point two and point one might not be significant, but so the real story here is that it is remaining high and persistent, and that's bad for the Democrats. Right. And that's actually CNBC has a, uh, a new story out today where its point was this differential has never been higher. And the, in, I think it was a Gallup poll where they were asking, uh, what's your top issue and do you trust Republicans or Democrats more on this? And if I remember right, there was something like a 12 point. The top issue was inflation, the economy, that type of thing. And there was a 12 point difference, I believe it was, between uh, people supporting thinking Republicans do could do a better job than Democrats. And that span on the most important issue. Remember, Carvel's statement is the economy stupid. Mm-hmm. 
uh, has got a number of people thinking this is this is liable to be bad for us as Democrats. Yeah, it, it's it's a huge gap. Now, if inflation were just something inexplicable that just happens and we don't know what causes it or where right. it comes from, then you would say, boy, the Democrats are really getting a bum deal here. Mm-hmm. You know, the problem is that is not the nature of inflation. And in fact, the Democrats were warned repeatedly not only by Republicans, but, by some but also by some of their own influential economists, right. that the huge amount of spending that was done, uh, President Biden's Build Back Better package. Uh, it, well, the American Rescue the American Plan was Rescue the one that was plan. really handing out the exactly. money. Huge, we, we literally increased spending over a short period of time by trillions of dollars. And when 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 the obvious argument was made but won't this cause inflation? Won't this be inflationary? Uh, Democrats scoffed at the idea. Right. They scoffed at the idea that it would be inflationary. And in fact, I have in front of me an open letter from 17 Nobel laureate economists in support of that spending. And literally, it says right here that that spending would ease long-term inflationary pressures. Mm-hmm. I have a letter here, a, a part of a statement by uh, Nobel laureate Joseph Stiglitz, who said that this spending would transform the U.S. economy to be more efficient, equitable, sustainable, and prosperous without presenting an inflationary threat. And when two major Democratic economists, Larry Summers and Jason Furman, Jason Furman, who worked for Obama, mm-hmm. wrote pieces Right after, right around the time of the uh, American Rescue Plan, which was uh, Biden's first major uh, legislation, the uh, saying we think this might be inflationary. They they were a persona non grata around the White House. Yeah, and just to to underscore what you said, those are prominent Democrat economic advisors who have held high office in the Obama administration as economic advisors. Mm-hmm. Um, all warning that this spending was going to be inflationary. And as you say, they were dismissed, they were ridiculed. And then I think sort of in, in, in an effort to sort of beat back that criticism, you had like things like this letter with 17 Nobel laureate economists promising us that all that spending will not be inflationary. So we know what happened. All of a sudden, we got inflation. And... Um, at first, it was well. This is this is not really inflation. This is just a one-time blip. Right. Then after two transitory. Three, then after two or three months of it, we were told it's transitory. Right. That it's 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 going to be temporary. It's going to be transitory. But it kept getting bigger, and it kept getting larger. And then we had a we had the Democrats trot. They attempted to trot out the message that well, this is just part of the cost of us transitioning to a to a different kind of economy. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the fact of the matter is, is that inflation is among the most harmful things that can happen in an economy to just your average working stiff and your average consumer. Food prices are up very, very high. Energy prices are up very high. Housing and rent is up very high. And one thing that jumped out at me from today's CPI calculation was health care costs. Mm-hmm. That healthcare costs went up a full one percent. Now, remember, the Inflation Reduction Act that was passed back in August 
specifically promised us it was going to reduce health care costs. Yes. It was going to reduce prescription drug prices. It was going to reduce insulin prices. Uh, it was going to reduce um, health insurance premiums. Now, granted, you know, it's only been two months, but you certainly cannot argue that the Inflation Reduction Act has actually done anything to help the economy or to fight inflation. Right. Now, it did on health insurance premiums. It did provide subsidies for people on the Obamacare uh, mm-hmm. health health insurance. And so they may have actually seen uh, just a flat premium or maybe even a little reduction in some point. But that wasn't because health and premium health insurance premiums were going down. It was, it was because taxpayers were covering more of the costs. Right. And as and as you have argued for years and years in the healthcare sphere, it's not like government subsidies hold down health care costs. No. I mean, when you subsidize something, you <laughs> get explode. more of it. <laughs> they explode. They drive costs higher. They don't bring down costs. So, you know, it's so frustrating that to many of us, and I don't just mean like eggheads like you and me, I just mean to to an enormous number of people in the country, it was obvious that it cannot be that the federal government can just spend this much money. You can't just helicopter this trillions in new spending and and there not be a price to be paid. Right. And, and there, there's no chickens to come home to roost. In fairness here, the first element of this went out through the Trump administration, but that's when you had the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so you can make a case that that first element was was understandable. They did some more. There was one in December of uh, at the end of Trump's administration. You can make the case that wasn't necessary, that that probably exacerbated. The, but then Biden comes in and passes his American Rescue Plan right. and expend, spending explodes. And he wanted to spend even more. He, he absolutely wanted to spend more. Uh, in fact, he would have spent more had it not been for one or two members, one, one or two Democrat members of the Senate. Yes. But remember, this is what Biden came into office to do. He came mm-hmm. into office to spend money. Yes, indeed. <laughs> and he made no mission bo- accomplished. He made no bones about it, and the party made no bones about it. If if you give us control of government, we're going to invest, which means spend mm-hmm. on Democrat policy priorities. So 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 the first and probably most important way that Biden administration Democratic policies are backfiring on the Democrats is inflation. Uh, they promised it wouldn't happen. They caused it, and now they have to. They have to swallow that frog now in three and a half weeks. Everybody sees it every day, and I hear nothing but complaints about it. Yeah, it, it's not just, you know, it's not just like jet skis that are expensive. I mean, it's chicken. Mm-hmm. It's eggs. It's milk. It's pork. It's basic staples. It's gasoline. It's gasoline. Exactly right. And gas. Well, we'll talk about this in a second, but gas prices are trending back up now. Yes, again. They are. Okay, so the first area is inflation. Second area is crime. Now, we all know and we all remember um, the whole sort of defund the police, Mm -hmm. uh, Black Lives Matter, um, the effort to discredit police, to make police look bad, um, the effort to get progressive district attorneys and progressive prosecutors elected in major blue cities. And Democrats were successful in all these things in a lot of places. They absolutely were successful at this. They were success they were successful in getting ideal ideologues in the criminal justice system who mm-hmm. would then choose to simply not prosecute. Just not prosecute shoplifting, right. not prosecute drug offenses, not not prosecute small-time violent crime and small-time breaking and entering and things like that. 
Uh, uh, this, even medium time right. crime, and, and this was strategic and purposeful. Yeah. It, it, there was there was a strategic effort to get people like that in place in the criminal justice system to carry out this progressive ideological agenda, uh, and that is backfiring on Democrats. Uh, crime is increasing. Uh, almost all crime statistics are showing an increase in violent crime, an mm-hmm. increase in nonviolent crime. Uh, oddly enough, um, like murders have not been increasing dramatically, but it's it's almost all other forms of crime. Uh, it's you know carjackings in Washington D.C. have have gone crazy, have gone through the roof. Almost everybody that I talk to had knows somebody that was carjacked, had their car stolen, or whatever. Um, crime is on the increase, and crime shows up as one of the top concerns of voters. Uh, but it wasn't showing up as one of the top concerns of voters four or five years ago. Mm-hmm. This is new, and it's a result of Democrat policies. It was it, it was their policy to demonize law enforcement, to demonize the police, uh, to settle on a few high-profile incidents to essentially try to remake the entire criminal justice system. So you—, you and I know that you remember this, where you would have you would have activists on cable news shows, and the interviewer would say, "Now, I, I know you don't really mean when you say defund the police. I know you don't really mean do away with the police." And they would say, "No, that it's is exactly, exactly what we mean. Exactly, that is and, what we mean." And there's some that are still saying that. Corey right. Bush, a, a representative to Congress, does that. She still is. She's doubling down on the defund the police, even though she keeps about four private security guards around her to protect her. Exactly. You have states like New York who have gone radical on like eliminating cash bail. Mm -hmm. Uh, Now, you know, because the Institute for Policy Innovation, because we have been involved in criminal justice reform efforts, uh, we're not suggesting that that there aren't reforms that should be made in this area. But what we're describing on this podcast are these extreme progressive criminal it's it's really social justice warriors in the guise of you know criminal justice reform right uh, but it's really part of their social justice campaign and the whole idea here is that you know because of racism or whatever now we have to skew the pendulum far in the other direction and the only reason that that people commit crime is because they've been historically discriminated against and stuff like that and so essentially the way you make up for that is by letting them commit crimes and not getting published, mm-hmm. not getting punished for it. Let them go into CVS and just start filling up bags and running which, out. Which the door. they've done. Which they've done in grocery stores and th- these. We've all seen film. We've all seen video on social media. These organized efforts where there just be like a smash and grab. A whole mob of people mm-hmm. will come into a store and knowing that they're not going to get prosecuted, and knowing that if you call the police, the police are not going to show up. The other thing that's been happening is that police departments around the country are having a hard time recruiting new officers, right? Finding and hiring new officers. A lot of them retired because or they, left. because they have been so demonized mm-hmm. and be, and because they have been discredited and been been made to 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 play the part of the bad guy. And so these are you know again this is the normal logical result is you would get more crime. And so the the whole sort of defund the police, the whole effort to decriminalize crime. You know, we talk about things like decriminalize marijuana with the Democrats want to decriminalize crime to where it's no longer a crime to commit crime. This is backfiring on the Democrats because, again, concerns about crime are now showing up as among the top concerns of voters.
And the way, one, another way you know is because President Biden has been out saying, we don't want to decriminalize crime. Right, exactly. we, want, we want to hold these people accountable. And that's he's trying to counter the widespread impression that people have. And, and Biden was not saying that when the riots were going on. Right. He was not saying that when it was a big issue. He's saying that now when it's an election issue. It's it's like it's like the Democrats thought the path to success was to give free reign to their extreme progressive activists. Mm-hmm. And um, what we're finding out is that giving them free reign actually is not popular with the voting public. The, pu- the voting public doesn't like those policies. But now it's like you've sown the wind and now you're reaping the whirlwind. So the third area that we wanted to talk about was immigration and the border. Uh, It was the avowed policy of the Biden administration to reverse the efforts that the Trump administration was making to try to get control of the border. Mm -hmm. I don't think any of us would argue that the border was secure even during the Trump administration, but at least the Trump administration was trying things. Right. Uh, Whether it's the wall, whether it was policies to require asylum seekers to apply from the other side of the border whether it was working with putting pressure on Mexico to keep people from coming through, putting pressure on South American countries to stop letting their people come through. Uh, The Trump administration was at least doing everything it could to try to solve the problem, whereas the Biden administration seems to have wanted to exacerbate the problem. Well, what the Biden administration did was put put Vice President Kamala Harris in charge of the issue. (laughs) and so you know it was so going you, so, to be a so you think you think you think that was a strategic decision to put someone in charge who we know isn't going to do anything i guess so <laughs> i don't know well you know the the even obviously um republicans and conservatives are up in arms about the border crisis but what what we're actually seeing is in, polls suggest that independents uh, are very concerned about immigration and in border states yes. like texas you have Democrats down on the border who have had it with the National Democratic Party choosing to do nothing about the border and immigration. And you've got, you've got Democrats on the board, Democrat elected officials on the border who are chiding their own national leaders, in some cases who are switching parties. Mm-hmm. And then you've got voting populations in South Texas that have historically voted Democrat who in a sh- very short period of time are swinging over and starting to vote Republican. Right. And it, the, the evidence suggests that a lot of that is being driven by who, who wants chaos in their neighborhood. Nobody wants chaos. And the border crisis is causing a chaotic situation in South Texas, uh, in New Mexico, in Arizona. Um, Florida, of course, is not a border state. But, of course, Governor DeSantis wants in <laughs> on, <laughs> on the immigration thing because he knows that it's Popular with Republican voters and and uh, popular with independent voters. And the irony here is, even though in some cases, on some of these issues we're talking about, Democrats have tried to change the message. But with immigration, they're just denying that it's a problem. So you had Kamala Harris on with Chuck Todd just a week or so ago, and he's asking about the border and the, the, the fact that we're over, well over two million people have come over in the last year. And she says the border is secure. And fact, she's not the only one. There, no. I mean, I think I think um, Mayorkas also has several times said yeah. in interviews the border secure, like with a straight face. And I, I haven't seen the ads yet. I suspect we'll see them in the next few weeks where you have pictures of Mayorkas and Kamala Harris saying the border is secure on a split screen where you see over here there are just hundreds just, and hundreds just yep. walking across the border. The other thing that the other thing that um, 
that Democrats have done on the border that I think is going to have more repercussions than, than they thought or than they think. You know, we talked a few minutes ago about demonizing police. Mm-hmm. They've demonized border patrol agents. Yes. Get rid of ICE. Yes. Um, and you, you had that situation where you had border patrolmen on horseback who were simply holding the reins of their horses. If you've ever been around a horse, you understand that that's how you guide a horse is with the reins. Mm-hmm. And Democrats spun that to say that they were whipping and beating immigrants as they were coming across the border. Which was which turned out, and to those be were Haitian immigrants. So it was an, an, yes. the ability of them to say this: they're beating blacks. Exactly, and it was. It has been proven. It was proven in very short order that it was not the case. In fact, the Heritage Foundation just this week obtained emails uh, from the Department of Homeland Security through a FOIA request that proved that um, Homeland Security had been informed that those Border Patrol agents were not beating people, but Mm -hmm. yet they went out and continued to say it in the press anyway because they thought it was of benefit politically. Mm -hmm. But again, uh, demonizing law enforcement, demonizing Border Patrol agents, uh, that is going to backfire on you. And so I think this third area, this immigration and border policy, is an area that is really backfiring on Democrats. And, you know, we, were talk- we talked about crime right before this and now in immigration, and those two are connected. Yes. Because you've got the cartels that are bringing people across, but they're also bringing across drugs and other things. Mm-hmm. And if you've got an open border, it's pretty easy to, to uh, do that. And so you've got cartels set up in northern, northern Mexico and southern in the southern states which are, in essence, working to combine this. And I, I I haven't heard from a cartel person, but I'd have to say if they were talking about it, they'd say, I can't believe how easy it is for us to do this. Oh, yeah. I mean, the, the, I don't know that, you you know, instead of saying that the board is secure, I don't even know that porous is a strong enough word. Right. In fact, I went to a presentation, uh, I guess about a year and a half ago, uh, here in Texas, where a couple of the county sheriffs in North Texas were talking about uh, – cartels and crime coming across the border. And it's 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 just simply a known fact that cartels have safe houses and are regularly bringing people across the border on a regular basis and there's there's just not enough interdiction, there's not enough checking people when they come across the border. And so it is a, it is related to crime. It's absolutely related to crime and it's absolutely related to fentanyl and it's related to all sorts of dangerous drugs coming into the country. And then the fourth and final area we wanted to talk about that continues to show up on a list of vote top voter concerns is uh, energy prices and oil prices. Mm-hmm. And we talked about this a second ago, but of course, gas prices skyrocketed because of the Russia-Ukraine war. But Well, they were going up but, before yes, that. Yes, but this is the thing. They were already double mm-hmm. the, the 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 price that they were when Biden came into office before Russia invaded Ukraine. Right. So it's kind of like Russia invading Ukraine was just like the icing on the cake. And, and it may have been responsible for, you know, the the top 10 or 15 percent increase, but it wasn't responsible for the largest share of the increase in gas prices. Mm-hmm. Those were overt results of Biden administration policies. And you have written about this many times about how one of the first things the Biden administration did was shut down the Keystone XL pipeline. Right. And it, they didn't just shut down the Keystone XL pipeline, but that was a symbolic move essentially to signal that we are hostile to 
fossil fuel infrastructure. Right. And the whole the whole purpose of Biden and the left is to essentially eliminate the fossil fuel industry. And that's that's been their purpose. But it's also they also found out that it drives up gasoline prices. Well, the, again, and voters don't like that. Again, this is just this is the comical part. Just as it was obvious that all that spending was going to increase inflation, mm-hmm. just as it was obvious that defunding the police was going to result in higher rates of crime. It's it's obvious that if you're going to essentially do everything you can do to put roadblocks in the path of the fossil fuel industry, you're going to drive energy prices higher. Right. And it was almost comical to see the Biden administration purposely drive gas prices higher, but then panic when the public started complaining about it. I, I don't know what they thought the publics were going to do, but people do not like high gasoline prices because they use gasoline in so many things, and it filters through so many parts of the economy. Where you're talking about railroads and need, uh, trains needing to use diesel, where you're talking about trucks that use regular gas and diesel, uh, all of that is intertwined. And if you're do if you're driving up the prices of fuel, whether it's jet fuel, gasoline, diesel, or whatever. You're going to see higher prices both at the pump and through the rest of the con- economy. I, I think human beings have an enormous capacity to believe their own BS, <laughs> <laughs> and, and I think that you know the the, the 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 progressives were talking about the Green New Deal yeah. would of necessity drive gas prices up to like twelve to fifteen dollars a gallon, and. They were okay with that. They wanted high gas prices. High gas prices mean that means that renewable energy looks better by comparison. Right. And so if you have high ga- gasoline prices, what's the problem? But you've got an election coming up in, a, in less right. than a month, and high gasoline prices don't work well for the election. It's like even, even if you, as a Democrat politician, even if you convince yourself of your own BS, the average American voter is not persuaded. And- you know, it just it, again, it cracks me up that, that that the Democrats would advocate policies that would that would literally give us ten dollar and above gas prices, but yet go into an absolute panic when gas hits four dollars and fifty cents a gallon and five dollars a gallon. And here, this is this is the problem with one of the many problems with the Biden administration is nobody knows what the Biden energy policy is. We know they want to give a lot of taxpayer money to renewable energy and other green energy aspects. We know they want to get rid of fossil fuels, but at the same time, they're criticizing um, producing companies, oil and gas companies, for not producing more. They're criticizing uh, refineries for not producing more, even though our refineries are already essentially maxed out right now. They're at about 100% capacity. They're criticizing us for... uh, exporting oil, even though our refineries can't necessarily take it. And depending upon where you are, I mean, if you're on the West Coast and you produce oil and there's no there's no refinery capacity, you'd have to get over the East Coast. There may not be. It may make more sense to export oil to another country because they have the refinery capacity. It's just it is bizarre. And now, even though they the Biden administration canceled the Keystone XL pipeline, as you said, which was supposed to bring 700 to 800 million barrels of oil, excuse me, a thousand barrels to the United States a day. They uh, have gone now to Venezuela, and now we are apparently in an agreement with Venezuela of some kind 
that we're going to try to help them get their energy production up again because they are their socialist government has destroyed it. Yeah, I think this is the perfect way to wrap this up is to talk about Venezuela and the Saudis, because these are perfect examples of what you just described, that like nobody knows what the policy is. Or maybe another way to put it is the policy is what it is until something bad happens <laughs> and then the policy switches. So the Biden administration came into office promising to punish the Saudis. Right. For their misbehavior. Make a pariah out of Make them. a pariah out of the Saudis, um, specifically because of the murder of Jamal Khashoggi. Right. Um, which is a complicated issue okay. that we won't get into we here. Don't, and we don't defend any of that. Exactly. But we've had a long-term relationship, a pretty good long-term relationship with the Saudis, and that actually improved under Trump. Built over, over decades and decades and decades. Uh, there's obvious, it's obviously in the United States, a strategic interest to have the Saudis as if, if not an ally, at least a cooperative partner. Right. Mm-hmm. But yet the Biden administration sat out to basically set out to stick it to him. Right? right. So now you have this humiliating episode of, of Joe Biden traveling to Saudi Arabia, essentially to plead with them to produce more oil, to help him politically with his high gas price problem. Mm-hmm. Now, why would the Saudis want to help Joe Biden? He, he set out from the beginning of his administration to make them a pariah. They have no incentive to help Joe Biden. And, you know, the latest recent news is the Saudis have essentially come back and say, no, in fact, we're going to reduce production. Yeah, as part of OPEC, they've decided to reduce production. Now, the Saudis did increase production, if I remember right, 100,000 or 200,000 barrels a, a day for a little while. But now they've decided they're going to reduce, uh, as a part of an OPEC decision, reduce production 2 million barrels per day. Uh, and that's going to be uh, that's going to start pretty soon. And the irony of which has just com- been coming out here is that the administration, Biden administration, reached out to them and said, please hold off announcing that you're going to cut reduction by a month, by a month. What happens Why a in month, less I than wonder. a month? Yeah. I'm, we, we, just, <laughs> we just like mid-November for some reason. <laughs> And the Saudis have rejected that and have sent a letter to the Biden administration saying this was not a political decision. This was a decision among the various there's I think there's 11 or 13 countries that are part of OPEC right now. But this is and most of them don't produce much oil. Uh, but they they said they rejected it. And they're saying oil prices have been going down. We'd like to get them get them back up. We think a recession is coming, which is likely to reduce oil demand again. And so it's a re- there may have been a political motive behind the Saudis, but it's a reasonable position that they're taking. It's just that it means oil prices are going back up in the United States, and it means it's harder for the Democrats to be able to win re-elections in the midterms. You, you have this bizarre situation, which we've talked about before, so we shouldn't spend too much time on it. But you have a Biden administration that says fossil fuels are bad. We need to reduce production of fossil fuels. Then turning around and and begging the Saudis to produce more and begging the corrupt communist dictator in Venezuela to produce more. Uh, whereas you know very well that American producers do a cleaner, more efficient job of producing than the Saudis or the Venezuelans do. And here's the irony. Saudi Arabia was on Biden's bad list because of Jamal Khashoggi, because Mm -hmm. they let's just say they probably took that. They were behind that, Mm -hmm. uh, that killing of him. So but so it's better to deal with a person who's killed thousands of people in Venezuela (laughs) than one. Is that what you're saying? 
So in all four of these areas, it's like the bad negative results of the policy should have been obvious, Mm -hmm. and they were obvious to many, but somehow because apparently Democrat politicians have this incredible ability to believe their own BS, they thought they could do all of the spending without generating inflation. They were wrong. They thought they could defund the police and discredit the police without increasing crime. They were wrong. They thought that they could open up the border and let people flood across the border without causing chaos. They were wrong. And they thought that they could get away with policies designed to make gasoline and energy more expensive, and they thought they could get away with it, and they were wrong. And there's one more that might be future, is that the Democrats are now saying we're going to punish Saudi Arabia for this by perhaps reducing or eliminating arms sales and other things to Saudi Arabia, which is one of our largest purchasers of those things. And if that's the case, and Saudi Arabia ends up moving towards Russia or China for their arms sales and other things, the Democrats may end up finding that they think that by punishing Saudi Saudi Arabia, they'll come back or something of that nature, and they may be wrong again. Well, neither you nor I are political prognosticators. But I think what what, what we can say on this podcast is that uh, when you do dumb stuff, the repercussions are likely to hurt you politically. And it looks like something like that is shaping up for the midterms. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you can learn from screw ups just like you can learn from getting things right. And well, so, you know, we, we say elections have consequences, but so do bad policies. That's exactly right. That's a better way to put it. Well, we would invite you to check out our website at IPI.org. Uh, there's lots of material there on inflation and economic policy. There's lots of information there about energy policy. Dr. Matthews has been writing on energy policy for years. Uh, So we would invite you to check that out at IPI.org and to sign up if you'd like to receive notices of all of our new content and upcoming events. If you've enjoyed this podcast, we would invite you to share it with your friends on social media. We would also ask you to give us a favorable review on iTunes or on your favorite podcast platform. You can also help to sponsor these podcasts by becoming a member of IPI's Giving Society. Thank you for joining us, and we will see you next time.